do encourage shift workers to think about it as a lifestyle. If you think about it only as a job, then the disadvantages kind of weigh on you more. It's just going to be too difficult along with the sleep deprivation. Welcome to the Sleep Junkies podcast. My name's Jeff Mann and we cover the whole conversation on sleep. And today we're talking about a really important topic. We're talking about how to manage and optimize your sleep when you're doing shift work or when you're doing night work. Now, you may or may not be aware, but there's been a lot of research over the past few decades looking into how shift work and night work in particular has a lot of implications for your general health and well-being. However, despite this and despite the growing body of scientific research warning against some of the effects of working shifts, we're not going to get rid of shift work overnight. Some people choose to work shifts because of family circumstances. We have the emergency services which need to run 24-7. There's a growing gig economy and there are many, many industries which need to operate around the clock. So today we're not going to dwell on the health and the science behind how shift work affects our health. We're going to talk about tips and strategies. If you happen to be working shifts, how do you cope? How do you optimize your sleep? What are the best practices if your circadian rhythms are being disrupted by your work schedule? And we're going to talk to somebody who's been involved in this area for over 20 years, advising employers and employees on the best ways to manage these types of issues. So if you are a shift worker or you're working nights, I think you're going to find lots of useful tips and strategies in today's show. If you're liking the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. You can check us out on social, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and also on the website, of course, sleepjunkies.com. That's it for the introduction. On with the show. Well, hello. I'm joined with Carolyn Scher. Hi, Carolyn. Hi, Jeff. Really honored to have you on today. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. So Carolyn is an author and a speaker and a consultant. And she runs a company that's dealing with employers and employees who need to solve problems to do with shift work and sleep. And you wrote a book back in the 90s. So you've been you've been in this space for a while. Can you just give us a little background to how you got into this area? Well, I say that my career in sleep started in um, 1994, which is when my first book about night owls and early birds uh, came out. Uh, But very quickly, people began to ask me about the real night owls in the workplace, and that's the people who are shift workers. So from basically 1996, that was when I started. And I I knew that shift work was a problem, but I had just assumed that because we know it's a problem, someone has been addressing it. There were some people who were trying to help shift workers, but they were using information that was very generic uh, and, in my view, wasn't really helpful. There were some scientists 
and academics who started to take this on. They were working primarily with NASA and with large agencies for whom uh, sleep and fatigue issues and shift work were a very, very primary issue. Um, So I found that the field was really quite wide open and I was able to develop a lot of new strategies and management practices. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, Well, we're going to talk about some of those strategies specifically a bit later, but I I just wondered if you could give an overview of some of these consequences of night work, health consequences, emotional consequences, uh, and then we can move on from there. Well, certainly, and I, I like that you make the reference to night work because this is one of the things that I'm always um, trying to point out is that it is not necessarily shift work that's the issue because lots of people do shift work, which is essentially working non-standard hours. It is really the night shift, the night work that does cause the problems just because as homo sapiens, we are designed to be day functioning and not night functioning. So I always like to focus on on what I call sin, which is shift work involving nights, because that's really what the problem is. And so people working night shifts will generally experience higher levels of stress and fatigue. Uh, But the extent to which one will suffer these physical and emotional problems. And certainly, if you look at the literature, there is a lot of work to suggest that there's all kinds of physical consequences around, you know, having chronic illnesses like allergies and flus and colds more often, but also the more significant things like heart disease um, and gastrointestinal problems, autoimmune issues. Uh, those become much more probable. You certainly are at higher risk. What I like to do is to reference the fact that you probably know many shift workers who've been shift workers for a long time, and somehow they've come out at the other end without experiencing anything more than the the additional stress and fatigue and perhaps some sleep disruption but they seem to have avoided all the more significant kinds of consequences. So I always like to say in my presentations that we don't need to think that everyone will have these consequences. This reflects my work and that I have developed shift work adaptability profile. And there are some people for whom when you profile them that they are just much less well adapted to shift work. And if you are in that category where you are much less well adapted to shift work, and not just the shift work, that's the problem. It's really the sleep disruption that's the problem. So some people are just less well able to deal with that sleep disruption. But really, lots of other people who are better adapted to shift work really come out not being uh, faced with the same kinds of consequences. Uh, That's how I always look at it. And I try to frame it for shift workers. Um, And this is one of the problems with research is that we sort of say, in general, shift work causes this problem. 
Well, more specifically, it's night work that causes these consequences. And even more specifically, there are some people who are less able to deal with those consequences and with that sleep disruption, and they will the one be the ones that have most physical dysfunction and emotional and cognitive dysfunction. Absolutely. Uh, we're all individuals. So I was just doing a bit of research before our talk, and I was quite surprised at the actual numbers in the workforce. I, I just wondered if you could give an outline of the scale of the amount of people who are involved in, in working nights. Um, yeah, certainly. Well, it really varies across countries, but um, in most industrialized countries. So here again, we're talking about shift work, which will be in the range of uh, 25 to 30% of the workforce who are engaged in some form of shift work. Um, but this may not necessarily be the number of actual night workers that may be somewhat less. But still, we are talking at probably about 20% of the workforce, which is quite significant. And that's mm. one of the things that I say to shift workers, you know, because as you were surprised by the number, shift workers themselves are actually quite surprised by the number. They don't realize how many people are actually doing shift work and night work. So one of the things that I say is, you know, you have the right, given the percentage of the workforce, to ask that, you know, my need for sleep and my need for health be protected as well. Uh, but the things that are driving it in, in this age are not just the fact that we live in a 24-7 society, but we also live in a just-in-time kind of production criteria as well. And this really right. um, drives the whole shift work idea. And, uh, you know, like even you and I, regardless of the time or day or, or night, if we want to go out or we want to order something online or we want uh, food, we expect that at the touch of a button, those services should be provided to us. So right. it's just, it's that expectation of having service and product available to us all the time. And that's just us as individuals. But you can imagine in a in an industry sector how, you know, that's that's a huge driver. And so in that kind of gig economy as well, I mean partly that's why that's arisen is because we've created these expectations that, you know, we want it now and we expect for it to be there. So that that's really driving it. Yeah, I mean, they say the robots are coming, and undoubtedly they will to an extent, but the robots are not going to be able to replace every single human job. And as you say, we go out at night, or even if we're traveling, get on a plane or whatever, we just expect to be able to go and go about our business at any time of the day. So could you explain the, the different types of situations that somebody might find themselves in as well? Because a shift, it might move around, it might rotate. So really the thing about schedules is what is the configuration of the shifts? How many days in a row do you work? How many of the same shift in a row do you work? How many days off do you get? It's really quite endless in how you can arrange those. Um, but really, in terms of best practices, what we are looking at is the a fewer number of the same shift in a row. You know, no more than two the same shift in a row with a significant amount of rest time in between. Uh, firefighters where I live, they work 
two days, two nights. They have two off, then they work two days, two nights, and then they have six off. So it's really in the configuration, not working too many shifts in a row and having sufficient rest time. And usually we are looking at a rotation that moves what we call forward. So if you're moving from days, you should move to afternoons and then to nights. But you can do some backward rotation if you've got enough rest time in between. People always ask me, tell us what is the best schedule that we can have? What's the perfect schedule? And I always have to say, I don't know, (laughs) which exasperates people. However, you have to look at, uh, in terms of what is the best schedule, is what are the business needs? What are the demographics of the employees? What's the environment that you're living in? All of those things are going to affect what potentially is the best schedule for that situation. Good. Well, some takeaways there. Having uh, rest recuperation days in between is a good thing. And also this idea of rotating forward. So I want to move away a little bit from these negative stories we hear about, because I really like the way that you frame the mindset about working shifts, because a lot of the time people don't have choices. They'll do shifts for whatever reasons. Maybe they they work more than one job. Maybe they do because of childcare or whatever. You know, I really like some of these points on your website about the mental attitude and, and the way to approach your work rather than thinking, oh my God, this is this is such a terrible thing. You talked about viewing shift work as a as a lifestyle choice and and earlier on we talked about this idea some people do actually choose it they might just like it yeah so um it's really interesting uh you know as outsiders we do have that view that shift work is a terrible thing but one of the things that i often always ask in presentations as well is i'll come to a presentation and kind of tongue in cheek I will say, your boss has given me the authority to ask you this to anyone who is wanting to say, you know, shift work is just not working for me. I want off. Get me off. I just want to go to, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five kind of schedule. So how many of you would be willing to take up this offer? And, you know, in a group of 25 or 30 or 50, there's maybe one or two people that kind of go, oh, yes, absolutely. So it really counters that view that, you know, shift work is such a terrible thing. And it goes to the fact that for some people, because of childcare or needing a second job or because of family circumstance or whatever, having the flexibility to be able to work permanent nights or to be able to do shift work uh, where they have uh, a significant number of days off really works to their advantage. Mm. So, you know, people have reasons for choosing it. They're well aware of it and they're prepared to put up with some of the disadvantages. But I really do encourage shift workers to think about it as a lifestyle. And shift workers often think about it only as a job. And if you think about it only as a job, then the disadvantages kind of weigh on you more. Because if you're only focused on the disadvantages, then this is not going to work for you. It's just going to be too difficult along with the sleep deprivation to now deal with the emotional issues. Because, you know, let's be honest, shift workers can have a certain sense of isolation uh, when the rest of the world seems to them to be working on an entirely different schedule. So to be a shift worker, you do kind of have to like your own company a little bit. 
so you touched on it this idea of you know working nights you might experience some you know some isolation and maybe it takes a certain personality type i just wondered if you could explore more of those issues to do with not so much the physical health but maybe the you know the psychological implications of of working shifts well one of the things in terms of emotional health is that sleep deprivation generally leads to kind of a low level of depression so that's an issue that that shift workers face fatigue is another issue that comes out of sleep deprivation uh, when we sleep we become physically and emotionally regenerated and with that sleep deprivation, then we may just have a bit of that physical fatigue. So we just don't feel that we kind of have the energy really to um, to do really what we want to do. And we kind of have to push ourselves a bit more. So complacency is kind of something that goes along with fatigue. And the more that you can um, protect your sleep, so to make sure that you actually are, are getting some sleep and more, and more importantly, choose sleep, actually shift workers get themselves into a bit of a rut because there is this kind of expectation that you're going to be awake in the daytime. And if shift workers are sleeping in the daytime, um, there's all kinds of values that we bring to that about, well, you're not supposed to be sleeping in the daytime. There's work to do. You're not getting anything done. So in order to meet those expectations, and often this is hardest on women because women have this own expectation that they bring to themselves. You know, if, if they're sleeping, they're not doing childcare, they're not doing housework, they're not doing the laundry, and somehow they are falling down in their responsibilities. So for women, there is a lot of guilt attached to sleeping in the daytime. They're not comfortable with that. So we have to actually teach women, especially, that it is okay to sleep. With men, it's a little bit more the case that men will use the time to not just do perhaps renovations around the home or cut the grass or maybe even have a second job. So we do need to understand that our first obligation has to be to choose sleep because in the absence of sleep, we are going to have that bit of depression. Uh, we are going to be somewhat you know, sleep deprived. We are going to feel somewhat more fatigued. And when you feel that way, it's very hard for you to engage in healthy relationships. You know, someone might say good morning to you and, you know, you respond in a not a very conducive kind of way. So you can imagine if you're kind of sleep deprived and you don't have the emotional wherewithal to kind of deal with just regular relationships, you can imagine if there's a stressful situation at home or at work, You know, you're just not going to have the emotional wherewithal to deal with that. And so one of the outcomes of being sleep deprived, whether you're a shift worker or not, is just this greater risk of conflict in relationships. And I I write about that in other work that I do. We have to be aware that when, when there is conflict in relationships, sometimes it's just a function of someone not having the energy to be able to deal with it right now. And so they come across 
in a way that's not helpful for the relationship. And that's a danger that shift workers face. I want to go on to some of these sort of practical practical tips. And for me, my sort of perspective on this whole subject is it's all about the circadian rhythms and it's all about learning about your own circadian rhythms, learning how circadian rhythms work in general. And what do your sort of clients, what's their level of awareness of these issues to do with sleep? Uh, Well, generally, people do not understand how sleep works. Uh, Generally, people do not understand anything about circadian rhythms. Generally, shift workers do not understand why sleep is so difficult for them when they're sleeping in the daytime. So all of that is usually new information. Some of them may have dabbled just out of their own interest, but generally people don't understand these basic things about sleep and shift work and when we sleep. And so one of the primary examples of that for shift workers is understanding your own circadian type. So that idea of are you a night owl, an early bird, or an intermediate type is very useful information uh, for you to have that self-awareness because that is going to very much affect how and when you sleep, um, and how you maintain alertness at night. Really, you have to understand first what type you are. And so one of the things that in generic shift work information, people are often told to, you know, go home immediately after night shift and go to bed. This is actually not good information for everyone. It is really good information if you are a night owl type. And a night owl type has some underlying physiology that will, in fact, help them to be able to sleep in the morning. But if you are an early bird type, trying to sleep immediately after a night shift is going to be much more difficult. And so this is where I ask you to work with your body, um, you know, do some things in the morning until such time that your body is better able to sleep. And we adjust your daytime sleep to work with that. Um, So those are the kinds of things that really are helpful to understand. The so-called kind of like sleep hygiene tips that people give. I'm not a big proponent of lots of those sleep hygiene tips because they're very useful for someone who has a you know, regular nine to five job, doesn't have any sleep disorders, isn't a shift worker, then those sleep hygiene type tips are helpful. But if you're a shift worker, as we're talking about in this case, then you need to first know what your circadian type is, because that's going to be really important. You then need to do something to actually protect your sleep. And protecting your sleep means that because you are sleeping in the daytime, your sleep is going to be somewhat more disrupted. You're not going to get as much deep sleep unless you do something to protect your sleep to allow you to get into that deep sleep. Um, So minimizing light, minimizing noise are very, very important. You know, sleeping in as dark a room as, as you possibly Uh, can have. And that's why like eye shades become really important. Earplugs become very important. Turning your phone off becomes very important. Turning your phone off always presents a problem because people will say, well, what about if my family calls or something? So I always suggest 
um, getting a phone line that is dedicated just to your family and to those people who absolutely need to reach you in emergency. So, you know, maybe that's the daycare people, the childcare people, whoever, and you teach them what is an emergency so that they're not disrupting your sleep needlessly. Um, But exercise also helps to promote sleep. Um, And it doesn't have to be, you know, running five miles. Just a a brisk 30-minute walk is helpful. Uh, So those are much more key um, compared to other details. Um, What about about napping? Uh, Well, napping is useful. I'm certainly a proponent of naps at work. Uh, But again, there's many different configurations of of napping, of when you nap, how long you nap, all of that kind of thing. But one of the things to remember about napping is that not all people are equally able to nap well. And I'm one of those people. We have to make sure that the people that are napping are those who have a propensity for napping and it works well for them. So napping with shift workers particularly, so let's let's pretend that this is the daytime and you are going to be working at night, then a good thing to do would be to have what we would call a prophylactic nap, which is a nap that you would have in the afternoon. And it is actually, in my view, a nap is 20 minutes. Mm, um, yeah. Sleeping an hour or two is a short sleep period. So a shift worker who's working at night can use a short sleep period, you know, an hour and a half or two hours in the afternoon so that they kind of prepare themselves for the night shift. So what a shift worker might do, for instance, sleeping in the daytime is have two shorter sleep periods. This is not ideal. But early bird types, for instance, who find that they can sleep for two or three hours in the morning and then they're awake, they might, you know, be awake for two or three hours and then have another sleep period of two or three hours. So there's lots that you can say about napping, but it would be very particular to are we talking about workplace napping? Are we talking about shift workers? Are we talking about napping to make up for sleep deprivation? You know, I had a nurse one time asked me, she said, Oh, I'm very glad to hear that you're talking about napping in the workplace. Because, you know, I do that all the time. And I said, Well, I'm curious, how do you make that work? And she said, Well, I take my one hour lunch period and my two 15 minute coffee breaks, and I combine them into a one and a half hour break. And I go and I have a nap. And I said, Well, if I was the employer, I would not be allowing that kind of thing to happen. Because when you are sleeping for an hour and a half, you are making up for sleep deprivation. As an employer, you know, I have no obligation to help you with sleep deprivation if it isn't caused by your schedule. So I, a 20-minute nap, if you are able to nap, as an employer, that will refresh you enough for you to be able to work safely. Yeah, I think it's becoming slowly more acceptable in the workplace. Certainly agree with the um, 20-minute cutoff. Okay, so there's some good tips there, sort of general tips about sleep. What about, uh, we well, hear this one all the time, uh, working at night, it messes up your, your your appetite. You get these crazy 
cravings for junk food and all that what are some points that people can take away with advice to you know eating and meal choices and and meal timing when they're when they're on the night shift well one of the things as i said before is that we're designed to be day functioning which means that we're designed for food intake and elimination during the day so the problem at night is our digestive system is not really set up for us to be uh, taking in a lot of food at night. Uh, It doesn't know what to do with it. So that's one of the reasons that shift workers end up with gastrointestinal problems because they're putting food into the digestive system when it's not prepared to adequately digest it. And the other thing that happens is because it can't adequately digest, it just turns it all into fat and shift workers end up putting on a lot of weight. Mm. Um, But you cannot go a 12-hour night shift or an eight-hour night shift without any kind of food intake because what will happen is in addition to the fact that you're going to be very hungry, your blood sugar level will start to fall. And that falling blood sugar level is going to bring on a certain kind of lethargy and sleepiness that is going to put you at risk. So we do need to eat at night. And what I usually recommend is for nighttime eating is that we eat small amounts more frequently. So the small amounts, the digestive system will be able to handle a bit more easily. And if you do it more frequently, then you're keeping your blood sugar levels Uh, more balanced, and you'll be less subject to the kind of lethargy and sleepiness that you know that you're already going to be at risk for during the night. The other thing with uh, nighttime eating, and it's interesting what you were saying about, you know, having the, the, the kind of cravings for junk food, because the body knows that you need energy. So it's craving that because it's saying to you, you need some energy, you need some energy. Um, And many shift workers, that's the only kind of food that they have access to is something out of a vending machine or, you know, some kind of junk food because that's accessible to them. But really, you're far better off having a protein-based food. Um, And the value in that is that protein-based food gets digested much more slowly. So it balances the blood sugar levels. And because protein foods tend to have a little bit more fat, it gives you that feeling of satiation so that you're not feeling hungry all the time. So that's my usual recommendation when you're on night shift is to just eat smaller amounts more frequently and make them protein-based. You know, the different packaging of food, there are so many foods that are packaged in portable ways um, that we can just take along. Um, So, you know, little packages of yogurt, uh, nuts, uh, Mm. little packages of of tuna, which are, you know, packaged ready to go. You say protein, but it doesn't have to be a double whopper. I mean, you can stack on nut or yogurt, as you say, and get loads of protein that way. Exactly. Or, Or you could just have you know, uh, a piece of chicken, um, Mm. you know, something like that. That's something that's portable. The other thing in terms of um, uh, nighttime eating is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with aromatherapy, but one of the aromatherapies that for maintaining nighttime alertness 
is something that is citrus based. And um, okay. so I always talk to shift workers about eating like an athlete uh, because my son was, um, uh, was an athlete, still is an athlete. And so one of the things that they're offered, you know, almost immediately after a game, in addition to water, is um, something like oranges. Because the oranges, they have a high level of uh, water content, which you need. But they also have a little bit of, of sugar. So I'm not saying don't have any sugar at all, but have it in ways that are more, you know, nutritional. Yeah. Uh, the other advantage of something like oranges is in, you know, the fact that it is citrus. And citrus does signal a certain amount of alertness in the brain. Uh, so there's real advantages in having something like citrus. So it's this sort of grazing behavior you're talking about. Yes. Okay, brilliant. Loving these tips. Uh, what do you say to people with regards to supplements and pills and, and stimulants? Some Someone might say, I just can't sleep in the day, I'll take a sleeping pill. Melatonin is um, super hot right now. Everyone's talking about melatonin. And going the other way as well, you know, caffeine. What do you say about these sort of, you know, ideas, supplements and, and stimulants? Okay, well, so let's start with the caffeine, which actually is a drug is the most commonly used alertness promoting drug. Whether you're a shift worker or not, um, that's the case. So shift workers are big consumers of caffeine. Shift workers and anyone who is sleep deprived are also big users of the so-called energy drinks, which of course are just full of caffeine. Mm. And they also have another stimulant in them. So generally with shift workers, we're just talking about the fact about um, you know, reducing your caffeine intake, if at all possible, especially in the latter half of a night shift. Um, and, and some people are less bothered by caffeine than others. You know, I always use the example of my mother. My mother can, uh, you know, have a spoon standing in her coffee because it, it's so caffeinated and she can lay down and go to sleep like no one's business. And I just need a whiff of caffeine early in the yeah. afternoon and, you know, I'm not sleeping. So you need to know your kind of um, um, capacity to deal with caffeine. But generally we say, you know, avoid caffeine in the latter half of a, of a night shift. Because it's going to spill over into your, your sleep in the morning, I guess. Right. Absolutely. You know, caffeine usually has like a half-life of about four hours at the very least. So, you know, act accordingly. But on the other side of what do you do to help yourself fall asleep and what kind of, of supplements, there are a couple of things that shift workers use very commonly. And I'm using a brand name, so I apologize for that. That is Benadryl, which is a yeah. cough uh, suppressant, but it also has a sleep-promoting substance in it. And so Benadryl use is very common. The other substance that's very, very common sleep aid with shift workers is alcohol. Very high uses of alcohol as a sleep aid. The danger with these is that you are subject to a dependency or an addiction. Um, and these products were not intended for that. Something like alcohol will definitely relax you and make you feel you know, a bit sleepy, and it might help you fall asleep. The problem is that we get into this thinking that, you know, well, 
if if one bottle of beer or one glass of beer helped me get, you know, three or four hours of sleep, maybe if I had two bottles, that would be better, you know? And then we're driving home and we're thinking, oh my gosh, I don't have any alcohol at home. I have to, you know, make sure I get some because I'm not going to be able Mm -hmm. to sleep. So now Mm -hmm. we're into a dependency because we don't see ourselves sleeping unless we have that. And it's going to be fractured sleep as well, isn't it? I mean, alcohol will act as a sedative, but as, as, as we know, it's, it's not going to give us quality sleep. Exactly. And also just having a beer at nine in the morning, it's not, it's just not a good look really, is it? (laughs) (laughs) So then that brings us to the question of melatonin. Uh, You know, lots of people say, well, this is a natural substance, which it is. Now, as I say, if you are using these other sleep aids, maybe melatonin would be a better option because at least you wouldn't have the risk of a dependency and you wouldn't have the risk of the disrupted sleep as you suggested. So if you find that melatonin works for you and you are able to fall asleep and maintain sleep and feel rested after sleeping, then as long as you've cleared that with your physician or your pharmacist and it doesn't interfere with other medication, then why not? We have about now 20 or 25 years of use of melatonin. And at to this point, we haven't shown any dastardly side effects, but that usually takes a generation. So, you know, at this point, if your doctor is saying, yeah, go for it and it works for you, great. But it doesn't work for everyone. For some people, they find that their sleep is even more disrupted. They become quite anxious with using melatonin. And the other thing is that some people who use melatonin have very vivid nightmares. Usually what I recommend that you start with is something called uh, tryptophan. But tryptophan is an amino acid, which is also part of the sleep process. And it's only going to cause a little bit of relaxation. So, you know, maybe that's all you need is just that little bit of relaxation to just allow you to to drift into sleep more easily. So that Mm -hmm. might be another option that that you want to try. The other one in terms of a nutrient is magnesium or calcium. So calcium and magnesium together will have not so much of a relaxation they just feed the body in a way that helps you get better sleep, whether you're a shift worker or not. Uh, sleeping pills, um, of course, uh, you know, people will use those quite commonly. Um, again, with sleeping pills, they are meant for short-term use, not for long-term use. But, you know, if you are a shift worker and that's the only thing that allows you to get any kind of sleep, then with your doctor's advice, maybe that's what you need to do. You know, before I get people to try any of those things, I really, you know, want to look at more, are you sleeping at a time that's appropriate for you? Do you have a sleep disorder that might be interfering with your sleep? Let's deal with those things first. You know, are you doing everything possible to protect your sleep? And once we've dealt with those things and we still need some supplementation, okay, let's look at at what some options might be. But I don't like to go to supplementations as the very first thing. 
I think that's great advice. Can I just ask you, are you aware of, um, this? it's just a question that popped into my head, um, sleeping pills, you know, for shift workers. Is, is there any sort of evidence or research that you're aware of that when you're taking a sleeping pill in the day, let's say, than at night? Uh, well, sleeping pills generally um, are intended to help you fall asleep and stay asleep for about three or four hours. Um, so as far as I'm aware, though, I haven't seen any specific research, but as far as I'm aware, whether you are using the sleeping pill in the daytime or the nighttime, it should still work, you know, the way it's designed to work, which is to put you to sleep and keep you sleeping for three or four hours. Brilliant. Um, I know you wanted to talk a little bit, um, about sleep disorders, the big one we hear about is sleep apnea. I mean, there's a lot of sort of interconnecting factors here. So, so I wonder if you could talk about that and not just sleep apnea, but also any other sleep disorders and how they all sort of fit into this Venn diagram of doing the night shift. So one of the things that I find with the health of shift workers is that, you know, kind of right at the get go, they, they may be presenting with uh, difficulty sleeping, um, difficulty staying alert, all of that kind of thing. So with them, uh, we are looking at the possibility that they may have what's called a shift work sleep disorder. And all that is saying really is that they are having more difficulty than usual uh, with shift work. And oftentimes when I look at that, it may be because, you know, as I said earlier, they may not be well adapted to uh, to the shift work, or they may not be well adapted to their particular shift work schedule. But very often, and, and this is the problem, often shift workers will report that they have gone to their physician, they are saying that they are having, you know, they are doing everything that they can to protect their sleep and try and get good sleep, but they're still not well rested. And, and a physician oftentimes doesn't look beyond the fact that they're just a, a, that they're a shift worker. And so the physician's response will be, well, you're a shift worker. Everyone has trouble with shift work. So too bad. And that's such a tragedy because oftentimes these shift workers, when we look beyond the initial things that we know could be a problem and we see that they actually have a, a sleep disorder. So shift workers are, are not unlike anyone else. They are subject to the common sleep disorders, and you've suggested sleep apnea. Um, sleep apnea is becoming much more broadly known. So if a physician is at least willing to look at the fact that the shift worker may have sleep apnea, and they're asking those questions, then potentially they will be diagnosed and treated. But the other uh, common sleep disorder is restless leg syndrome. That is less well known. Um, but it is certainly a disruptor of sleep. And so what I just ask shift workers is to engage their physicians in a discussion of if I'm not sleeping well and I don't feel rested after sleeping and my sleep is, is disrupted, um, what else could there be beyond just the shift work? You know, engage your physician in that discussion now I incorporate into all of the shift work presentations just what I call the sort of the 25-word version of these are the common sleep disorders, 
If you're having more than the usual problems with shift work, consider the fact that you may have, you know, one of these sleep disorders and get thee to a physician. Great. I mean, I certainly didn't consider that, but obviously if you're going to be doing night shifts and you have a sleep disorder, it's going to be much harder to, for someone to spot that. So um, thanks for bringing that up. It's a, it's a great point. Okay. We're just going to round up. Could you explain um, some of the issues about uh, just finishing the shift? Got to drive home and you're tired. You get home, you don't know whether to go asleep or not. What, what are some sort of best practices when the night shift's over? Well, one of the things to consider is when you are actually driving home, um, and this is one of the things about understanding how sleep works and when we sleep and all of that kind of thing, is um, sunlight and, and daylight are uh, the primary signals to us to be awake. So you can imagine if you are driving home after night shift and it is already very sunny, that signal that your body is getting is that this is time to be awake. Um, and so what we want to do is because we know that you're going home to sleep, that you really do need to prevent as much as possible from that light getting into your eyes. So one of the things that we encourage shift workers to do is to wear very dark uh, sunglasses uh, on the drive home to try to eliminate that light. You know, th th those sunglasses, uh, very dark sunglasses will be important on the drive home. And then once you get home, you know, make sure that your environment stays as dark as possible uh, in order to be able to prompt your ability to sleep. Now, the other important thing here is that if you are a night owl type, this is especially important for you because you are going to want to come home and be able to go to sleep as soon as possible to take advantage of the physiology that you have that allows you to fall asleep and sleep later in the morning. So, you know, keep your room dark, have the dark shades when you're going home and try to get home and sleep as soon as possible. If you are more of an early bird type, uh, then Yes, you probably should still minimize the light going home, um, but you might want to consider, uh, you know, going home, perhaps having a relaxing bath, perhaps having, you know, something to eat. And, and even if you're a night owl type, now would be a good time to have a bit of a, a carbohydrate snack, something that's going to prompt sleepiness. So having oatmeal or having um, some toast and peanut butter would be something that is just a nice light snack that will help you fall asleep and make sure that you're not hungry, which will also wake you up. But an early bird type might just want to extend their time a little bit, maybe read the paper, maybe have you know a hot, soothing bath rather than a shower. Um, and just take a little bit of time to help yourself get into sleep and, and then go to sleep, you know, maybe an hour or two later and help yourself to sleep through. Um, chatting to um, another one of our guests, he mentioned a study about police workers doing the night shift and they were experimenting with naps before they left the shift because a lot of them are falling asleep on the way home. So I guess we need to make sure that um, we're fully 
fully alert um so we're not we're not drowsy on the way home yes absolutely and in the workplace that's something i really encourage is before you get in your vehicle assess your level of sleepiness and not just your level of sleepiness but your level of mental fatigue because both of those are going to be a danger and they are not the same thing and we need to recognize the both of them and i always advise employers to provide some option for employees to nap if necessary before they get on the road uh, because driving home after night shift you are at great risk of sleepiness and fatigue so that's yeah a really key point yeah because it's a tough one isn't it because you can't you know you can't have a coffee or a red bull because that's going to mess up your sleep and the and the other thing to remember on this too is the distance that you are driving is irrelevant i've been given examples of where people walk out of the plant they walk out of work on a cool brisk sunny morning you know so obviously they've had that hit of alertness and they get in their vehicle and within a kilometer or two of the workplace they are in a fatal crash and so what shift workers have to recognize is that a vehicle is the ideal environment for falling asleep yeah. and even yeah. though you may be alert getting into the vehicle because you are already very very sleep deprived and sleepy it takes very little for you to actually fall into sleep and getting into the an ideal environment for sleeping just puts you into sleepiness very quickly it's been super uh, interesting i'm sure people have got loads and loads of helpful practical tips where can people find out more about what you do well really the the easiest place to find out more uh, about me and my resources is really just to go to my website carolinsure.com and uh, if you go to the website uh, it's there you can find me on linkedin as well uh, if you uh, want to do that but really the easiest way is just to go to the website carolinsure.com once again thanks so much carolyn really appreciate your time today great thank you very much thanks for having me you've been listening to the sleep junkies podcast don't forget to subscribe you can also check us out on social media we've got a facebook group sleep junkies worldwide we're on instagram we're on twitter and of course you can check out the website sleepjunkies.com see you on the next one